It's important to just take the time to know that you're not always going to have good days, but when you do have them, to celebrate them, to relish in them, to feel good about them and to not feel guilty or, or move on or just bypass things just because no one has given you permission or no one is celebrating you. So it's good to learn to celebrate yourself. Hello and welcome to the BBXX podcast. Let's get intimate. I'm your host, Sasha Laurie, and we're here to challenge the way our culture has conditioned us to talk and think about sexuality, intimacy, and healthy relationships. To question everything, to embark on a journey of self-understanding, and to begin to rewire some of the backwards thinking that we've absorbed from the subconscious influences that have shaped us all. Our hope for you, and for myself, and for all of us here at BBXX, who are on this journey with you every day, is that through a better understanding of our own identity, of who we are, and why we are that way, we can form deeper connections with other people and live healthier, more fulfilling relationships as a result. Join us as we change the conversation and the culture surrounding intimacy and relationships. And remember that better relationships equals a better life. Rashonda James is a life coach and licensed mental health therapist specializing in psychotherapy. Today, we talk with Rashonda about self-care, journaling, meditation, and the importance of setting boundaries. These are common words of advice that are thrown around pretty casually and pretty frequently, but often without any practical advice. People say, meditate every day for an hour, or journal, wake up every morning and journal five pages, journal for an hour, whatever it is. But on a practical level, the same thing doesn't always work from person to person. I, for example, consider myself to be an awful journaler and meditation student for that matter. And so I am always looking for more practical or alternative or more adaptive ways of engaging with these amazing coping mechanisms or ways to better understand ourselves, but always find that there isn't enough room for reality in the advice that I find, whether it's online or in podcasts. So the idea of this interview is to help, first of all, redefine something like self-care, which again, I think can have kind of a cliche connotation and things are just thrown into a bucket, over-prescribed and under-advised and help shine a light on how this is actually something that can be real. It can be practical and it can work for you. And so today we walk through a few different ideas and we try and breathe a little more realness into these terms, which are sometimes, even for myself, can feel a bit cliche. 
Thanks so much for joining us on the show today, Rashonda. Great to have you here. Thanks for inviting me. I'm so excited. I would love to start out by having you talk a bit about the art of knowing yourself and the art of taking care of yourself. I wanted to have you speak a bit to your own journey and where the inspiration for the work you do today has come from, what experiences or influences have led you to the work that you do today? Yeah, I think just knowing the background is so important. Early on, I had to just deal with addiction with my mother. Very loving woman, but she definitely had her struggles with pain and sorrow. And that led to some wonderful people coming into my life and suggesting that therapy may be a good option for me. I'm happy to say that I was very open-minded to it. And after a year of doing therapy, I really had so much clarity. I saw the world differently. I saw myself differently. And I just wondered how many people would make different choices or how many people would just love to see the world and themselves differently if they had someone that they could relate to, that they could talk to and guide them and support them. So I wanted to actually be that person. I was inspired by the person who helped me get to this healthy place. And I was truly grateful. And surprisingly, my therapist became my supervisor. And so she was also able to not only guide me from teenager to adulthood, but also guide me into my professional career. And to this day, I'm still in contact with her and thankful. So I think that the message that I learned was just to be who you are and get to know that person. And that way, when pain and sorrow comes, you can know how to best handle it for yourself individually. I love that story of how your therapist ended up becoming your supervisor and I can't help but think of the apprentice becomes the master type thing. But I also think it's amazing because it just proves how much of this is just about opening ourselves up to the process and not only having access, but allowing ourselves to be equipped with these tools for self-development, for self-understanding. But when we're given those, anybody can have the opportunity to lean in and become a master in knowing themselves or in helping others to do so and really make huge changes in their own lives and in those of others as you have done. Yeah, I totally agree with you. When I'm working with people, I tell them that you are the expert of you. And if you don't believe that, my goal is that at the end that you do believe that. It's great to have people's opinions and people share what they've been through and what worked for them. But until you truly learn yourself, you could just be pulling from a toolkit of coping skills and trying anything. Learning who you are is that process of being the master. It's not to say that the learning ever stops. It's just that you realize that, you know what? I got a little bit going on about myself. I kind of know a little bit more. So I'm I'm no no longer the apprentice. I kind of feel like I have some stable ground of who I am and kind of what I want and what I need. You touched on just in the first part, the importance of context and understanding the background, having that background story. And I couldn't help but think how much 
that's relevant to ourselves. And so would love to just have you speak a bit to the importance of understanding our own story and having that background. Yeah. Oftentimes we're living day to day and that's great because it's important to be very present in the moment and appreciating, but oftentimes people are thinking that they can run from their past and you can't because the past has shaped who you are in the present. And so if you don't understand, there are themes in your life that can continue to be a cycle. So if you have struggled with people saying negative things and you started to believe that, you could very well want to be confident in the present. But if you haven't addressed what that was like for you, haven't addressed that theme of maybe being the ugly duckling or being the insecure person or being the victim and how you saw yourself in the past, it's hard to really change it. It's very, you're very capable of it, but understanding where you came from, what personality traits came from. So for myself, with my mom struggling with addiction, I really learned to keep my cool. I learned to be very, I learned to be a good listener. I learned to be a good observer and I learned how to handle crisis. So how that plays out in my life right now is that in my own work and in my personal life, when things happen, I'm able to handle situations. I don't typically go quick to anger because my mom was very quick to go angry. And so I went the opposite way. And so that's just understanding that even though it was a very sorrowful and a sad time, it shaped who I am because I have, I value now family. I value stability. I value financial security. I value peace and quiet. (laughs) So it's important to understand the past because it can help shape just who you are. So if there are things about the past, if you don't take the time to think about them, you don't, you won't necessarily know what you want to change and how to get to um, whatever happiness or healing that you're trying to get to in the present, which would then also impact your future. Yeah, absolutely. So as we spoke, therapy can be this extremely powerful tool and a transformative experience. It's also not necessarily something that is totally accessible to a lot of people. Thankfully, now there's online therapy and a bit more accessibility and certain changes that are being made to try and help more people get access. But there are also so many ways that we can try and on our own, equip ourselves with these kind of self-understanding, self-care and self-development tools. And so I'd love to have you today speak about some of your favorites. I think one of the most important tools that I learned very early on in my own individual therapy was boundaries. I remember my therapist actually saying that people have too much access to you. And I was like, wait a minute, what do you mean? Like, I have to be available. What if I don't know if there's a crisis? What if I, what if they need me? (laughs) You know, I got to be there. And so it was learning through that boundaries are so important because um, you get worn down, you get drained, you get taken advantage of. And it's not to say that I want to say no to everybody, but realizing that saying no does not make me a bad person. 
And that's often a thought that I had. And so when I'm saying yes to everyone, I'm so focused on taking care of others that I did not know how to take care of myself. So learning when to say no, um, learning my limits, learning how I also want others to treat me because that's also a part of boundary. So if someone is not treating me in a mutual, respective way, you know, I set a boundary and I let them know, hey, I don't like the way you're talking to me because overall what it does is I don't walk away feeling bad about myself. I don't walk away feeling guilty because I wanted to say something. I don't lay down at night feeling anxious and going over my thoughts about and replaying the situation, how I wish I would have said this. And so boundaries was one of the most important and and one that I continue to have to set with family, with friends, with clients, <laughs> you know, I have to set them all the time. And I'm all, I'm also teaching them like, hey, the reason why I'm talking to you about this and feel free, if I cross a boundary of yours, please let me know. This is something that I'm setting, but also I want you to learn and know that it's okay for you to do it as well. Another one that I love is mindfulness. It's one that I go in and out of because, of course, it can be uncomfortable to sit with yourself. (laughs) It's so valuable. Like, it is so valuable to just sit with yourself because life is busy. You're always on the go. You distract yourself. And before it's like bedtime, and you don't have to think about kind of those things you tucked in the back of your mind and those emotions that you shoved under the carpet. Wait, did you say you don't have to think about it? Because bedtime is definitely where they all come out for me. I run myself ragged sometimes that I just don't even like, by the time I like hit the bed, I'm like exhausted. I'm just like down and I go to sleep. In something that I go to sleep, I go to sleep to guided meditations. So I'm literally where my mind wants to go. I'm like, nope, they're telling me, relax, get into a calming position. And I even, I listen to one that gives me um, Bible scriptures as well. So it just really takes me away from myself. So I actually, during this quarantine time, I took the time to set a corner in my room where I have a carpet. I have a nice rug and I put some pillows up. And I just tell myself, hey, when you need it, sit down, take a minute. I usually end up staying longer than a minute, but I just say, okay, let's just stay at least a minute. So just getting myself there to that position, just focusing on my breathing, slowing down everything. And then I usually transition into my next favorite one, which is journaling. So after I've calmed myself down, really just brought myself to a very restful state and not busy on the go, it then allows my mind to say, you know what? Okay, let me write down some of these thoughts, some things that I avoided, and maybe there was a conversation that I didn't like or... Sometimes it's even just a to-do list so that I can go to sleep and not think about the 50 million things that I need to do the next day. So whatever you know is on my mind, whether it's a to-do list or really just processing some uncomfortable feelings or conversations that I had or that I need to have, that's how I take that time. It's important for me to be my own reminder, not to look to a friend or family member to tell me to take that time for myself, I I really need, I've learned to tell myself that and to give myself permission, not feeling guilty for taking that time. So self-care is not selfish. (laughs) Self-care, it's that time to take care of yourself. And that's how you can be a better, better you. If I don't take care of myself, 
How can I then show up and be present and step into other people's lives and, and then be okay afterward? That kind of segues into the importance of just self-care and personal development. I'm on this journey and I don't stop. I know that there's things that I um, need to remind myself. I had to remind myself to set a boundary just yesterday. And so it's important to be able to give those tools. That's why I started my YouTube channel, because there were so many people who were wanting to actually get healthy. Like they really wanted it. They wanted the information, but the funds were not there or they worked nine to five and and couldn't go in the evening to a therapist or to take the time to even spare the money. Online therapy can be more affordable, but if you're trying to make ends meet, but still wanting to be healthy and find that balance, but can't afford it, I didn't want those people who fit into that criteria not to be able to live a healthier life just because they didn't have the funds. I wanted them to still have resources and tools and be able to better themselves. That's my overall goal. Mm-hmm. Talking about these specific things, boundaries, mindfulness, journaling, I think it's really easy for people to understand the theory. And it obviously sounds great. For example, I believe these things work. I believe mindfulness is great. I think journaling could be great. I also happen to consider myself probably the world's worst journaler. I have never kept a journal in my life. I briefly tried one on my phone, at least where I can, I take photos all the time and thought, well, I should at least be uploading these photos and have some sort of documentation. But, And the mindfulness, you know, I listen to these bedtime stories, these sleep meditations, but sometimes for hours and hours on end (laughs) without being able to relax or go to sleep. So there's so much in the execution itself and having practical pieces of advice to guide people through this. So I'd love to break each of these down, perhaps starting with journaling, for example, what kind of some of the basic steps or things to get started might be. And I remember hearing you once talk about how there just, there aren't rules. There's no one way it needs to be done. There's no one format. And so helping people realize too, that they can make it what they want. And it's not about forcing yourself to follow this specific practice, but about finding what practice works for you and harnessing that to your own advantage. But I always love to give people to break down the theoretical parts and really leave people with practical, actionable advice and steps to take on their own. Absolutely. And I just want to speak to what you said about like mindfulness and or you might be the world's um, journaler. I think that it goes to what we've been talking about, the art of knowing you. And so there are times where mindfulness and journaling just doesn't do it for me. And I literally blast music (laughs) to- When in doubt, dance it out. Dance it out. And so I actually have different playlists. If I need to cry because I am not a good crier, like I need, it's something about music that helps me tie in. Oh my God, do you have a crying playlist? I do. I do. I've never heard of that. It's genius. 
I can totally understand how that would be helpful. Yeah, I have this crying playlist where I know these certain What's songs. It called? It's called Cry With Me. <laughs> because I just imagine no one's with me when I'm crying, but you imagine. Yeah, you're with you. I'm with me. I am with me. And it's just about me in that moment. And music is just a way to help me invoke that emotion where it taps in and the lyrics. There's one song where it says, it's not over until God says it's over. So that's the spiritual side where it really just invokes motion. And then there's another R&B song where it's, I'm not going to cry, but you end up crying. <laughs> so I, I definitely know that about myself that when I need to have a release, that it's hard for me just to sit down and cry. I need something to help. And if I'm in a funk, I also have a playlist called Dance With Me. I don't know why I always do with me, but <laughs> I dance with me. And Whitney Houston is on there and Michael Jackson. And so when you're getting to know yourself, know that there's no status quo for what works for you. I love social media, but it can also romanticize and make everything seem so luxurious and perfect with how things have to be. And they don't have to be perfect. I play music and I sit in my shower if sometimes if I need to release and let out that emotion or sometimes I scream. So in the art of getting to know yourself, it's knowing that what works with everybody won't work for you. So think outside the box if you have to. <laughs> I think that just knowing about yourself and trying different things. I went to a dance class because I wanted to like feel sexy and feel good about myself to help my confidence and just the, you know, so I've tried, I'm a big advocate of trying different things to find your own path and your own journey. And those combination of certain things that are kind of in the mind and in the body and that integration and how sometimes you treat the mind through the body, sometimes you can help vice versa treat, for example, with chronic pain, you can help treat the body through the mind. And so understanding too, remembering that relationship. And for some people at one point, one or the other might be more helpful for some people in general, one or the other, or a combination of that mind and body practice. Absolutely. It's like the funny saying, sometimes like your mind wants to do something, but your heart may want to do something different and your body wants to do something different. So finding ways where there is connection for you so that you can get to that place of healing or that place of peace or resolve where you want to be. So I'm glad you just shared that because I was like, definitely those are my only ones. I have some really abstract, out of the box things that, that I do at times to find healing and to find my sense of calm is what I like to call it sometimes. But going back to your question about journaling, very practical. The reason why I love journaling is that it does not require anybody. It's actually the most easy way to start getting to know yourself. You need paper, pencil. Of course, it's great to jazz it up with those fancy journals and the wonderful, beautiful pens, but just at bare minimal, just paper, pencil, or even your phone. I've had people also where they're like, well, I don't like my handwriting. I'm like, cool. Start with voice memos and just use your voice and just talk it out and just get whatever's out on your mind. Because either way, if whether you're writing and then you go back and read it or and then you burn it, because I've done 
I've done burning exercises with clients where they write a letter and we literally burn it. (laughs) Or whether you have your voice memo and you choose to delete it or share it with someone or listen back to it and just go through what you were experiencing and see, oh my gosh, I was there a month ago and I'm not there anymore. So when it comes to journaling, I'd say find a quiet place where you can think, where you can feel. Sometimes I journal with music on and the TV on, and sometimes I don't. So don't feel like you have to eliminate all distractions because honestly, sometimes that stops people because that becomes a barrier. They say, well, I don't have the time where I can just be by myself and have this complete quietness. Okay, fine. If you're good at multitasking and you're sitting while your kids are eating breakfast and you have five minutes, start just jotting down for those five minutes. If you're at the car loop where you're picking up your kids, start jotting. If you're waiting for your food in the line, start jotting down. So it doesn't have to be so structured where it gets you farther and farther away from the ultimate goal of you just starting to write out what thoughts you're having and what you're feeling and what you're experiencing whether that be what you experienced in the past or what you're feeling now or what you hope to have and want to experience in the future. So I, I try to really keep it very simple because once it gets very structured and you put a time limit, you put a location, that's starting to defeat the purpose because then that's creating more stress. Then you don't want to do it. It's like, why am I stressed out about the very thing that I'm trying to, right. to do? No, but that's very possible. It can become that. Yes, yes, it can be when you set all these expectations, especially when you're watching other people and somebody posts a picture of them journaling and they look like they're in bliss. But honestly, sometimes when I'm journaling, I'm crying because I am experiencing and I'm talking about something that I really did not want to hear. I didn't want to say it out loud. I didn't want to see it out on paper. So you're not going to always be smiling and it's not going to always be where you're just sitting out on the picnic table and you're just like looking at the sunshine or you're outside on the lawn and you're on the towel and you're kicking back, just writing down, oh, on this wonderful day. So very practical, sit down wherever you are. If you need to stand up because you don't want to sit down anymore If you journal on a whiteboard and you want to just write out your thoughts, practically take the time and do it. That would be just very practical. It's just find time and start writing, whether that's 30 seconds, a minute, five minutes, just start. I love that kind of reiterating the importance of those low barriers to entry whatever format, whatever amount of time, in whatever circumstances, with whatever ambiance, with whatever playlist, and even something as simple as the the voice memos, which is so much easier and you can do at, at any point. And I do find in a voice memo, you're not trying to structure it versus writing it somehow feels like it has to be formal and you're self-correcting and editing as you're writing instead of, I can't really write as much in the free form. Or one problem is that I never write because I know once I do, I'll have too much to say. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, and there are these apps too now, the one journal app, I think that day one, and you can do 
all kinds of stuff. You can upload photos, you can do bullet points, you can do audios, that kind of stuff. So again, just finding what works for you. And I guess some examples of maybe what the intention behind it is, or if it's just to get stuff off your chest or how you also don't need to write about things that are serious. Because I mean, the couple times I have managed to do it, all I'm trying to do is write a bullet point of certain things I did that day, almost just a documentation versus sit there and write or get deep. I feel like I try and do that enough for work so that in other circumstances, I need to do the opposite and just want to keep it light, but do want to. And sometimes more might come out and sometimes it it might not. I agree. For those who some are wondering, well, what am I going to write about? They do have journaling prompts. But to, to your point, sometimes I am stepping into people's lives where I come back and I'm just like, I don't want to even step into my life. So <laughs> what I'm going to do, though, is <laughs> I'm going to write down <laughs> what I'm grateful for or things that I'm looking forward to or just like a happy moment um, or something that made me laugh. Um, just something that I can just connect with. And then I go back like after a couple of weeks and I'm like, oh my, okay, I may not be feeling good, but I didn't always feel this way. Like I was feeling really good that week. What was I doing? Was I eating good? Was I sleeping good? What were the factors that was going on during that time? So I definitely think that there's no way to do it. And don't think of your journal as being this sad, somber. I had people do dream journals where it's just nothing about them, but just writing about their dreams. Because sometimes we go through trauma, we go through difficulties that we forget about our dreams and our passions. And we just need to connect back with that side of ourselves. And Or if you're struggling, for me, sometimes I don't feel like I'm doing enough. And so those to-do lists or done list as I like to call them. Yeah, that sounds much better than the to-do list, yes. which I, is generally like 18 pages long. Oh my gosh, right? I just, you know, I can walk around the house and I'm just, my eyes are just scanning. And then I'd be like, nope, nope. What have I done today? You know what? I did three sessions. I have dinner prepared and I made my bed. That is win-win right now. Let's just focus on what we won today, Rashonda. And I have to end sometimes in my journal is that reminder because we often are wired to think about what we didn't do and what we could do more of. Like never just sitting in that moment of accomplishment and your successes. So I try to also praise myself for the small wins. So even me doing this podcast with you and just talking to you about something that I'm passionate about and hearing you about that you're passionate about it, this is a win for me. I love this. This is a win and this will carry me through (laughs) for the rest of the day that if I don't do anything else, I feel great that I got to share and I sat down and I carved out this time to talk about something that I'm really passionate about and that I love and that hopefully will be fruitful to someone else. Mm -hmm. I love, I was just thinking in my head, the phrase small wins, right? When you said it, I've, a friend of mine introduced me to that concept a a year or two ago and it really changed a lot. And I actually did, we have some short format podcasts called Food for Thought. And one of them is on the importance of small wins and really how, if we're not one, acknowledging to celebrating the small wins along the way, 
if we never make it to that final goal, then all the things we've done along the way just don't count for anything. And how those small wins really, when you look back, end up being much bigger wins. In the moment, they might not feel like much. And you're just focused on how much farther you have to go and how much more you wish you had gotten done. But those small wins represent something so much bigger, particularly in retrospect. And they are truly important to look at on a daily basis, important to acknowledge along the journey, and important to really feel the value in them when looking back. And they should be celebrated. So there's always something to be celebrated and the importance of just the process, because that's where you're learning the most. You're not learning when you put that final piece into the puzzle. You're learning the whole time when you're looking for the pieces, when you think you've lost a piece, when you're going crazy, when you're hunting down the patterns, when you're, it's the whole process. It's not that final piece. Yeah. It's always a process. And I think about, I'm so happy that someone introduced you to the small wins because people aren't talking about it enough. <laughs> you, It's important to just take the time to know that you're not always going to have good days, but when you do have them, to celebrate them, to relish in them, to feel good about them and to not feel guilty or, or move on or just bypass things just because no one has given you permission or no one is celebrating you. So it's good to learn to celebrate yourself and just learning that it's okay to praise myself. Well, because if you're not celebrating this stuff, then exactly no one is going to, particularly if you're not even sharing this information with somebody else, if you're not even telling them about the interview you did or this thing you wrote that you really liked, the progress you made on your project because you don't feel like it's good enough. So particularly if you're not telling other people, no one else is going to celebrate it for you. I've been guilty of that. It's good to hear that because I often have to remind myself to share my wins because I often don't share my wins. I can be very private in that way and like, oh, I don't want to boast or, but I'm trying to be more comfortable that it can be inspirational and it can be motivating and it can be just a beautiful thing. We all need to be better about sharing our wins and sometimes the losses too. Heck, celebrate a loss. It's over. You learned. Maybe the next time it'll be a win. The loss is probably a very important part to you being able to win at some point. It's building block. It's the foundation of success is failure. So in terms of journaling and really being able to use that as a way, however lightly or deeply one wants to connect with themselves in some way or document, it does bring a certain level of awareness, self-awareness of perhaps just what you're doing or what you're grateful of or what you're thinking. And so how does that then build into mindfulness and the practice of mindfulness and what would be some specific pieces of actionable advice to expand upon that? Yeah. So when both of mindfulness and journaling requires you to learn how to sit with yourself, which is so much easier said than done, even if you've done it for a long time, it's still 
carving out that time and sitting down with your thoughts, which can be scary. So when you're journaling, you're opening yourself up to not just deflecting or not pushing back those thoughts and fighting back those emotions, which can sometimes lead to numbing and being emotionally disconnected. So in the journaling process, you're getting comfortable with with listening to your thoughts and with acknowledging your feelings and acknowledging experiences. If you're going deep or even if you're not, it's just still acknowledging what's going on with you and appreciating those thoughts, whether they're negative or whether they're positive. And that takes you over into the mindfulness where then you're not only taking the time to appreciate because it doesn't require any hands. It actually just requires the mental and the physical aspect with you sitting down and with you really taking the time to focus on grounding yourself with your deep breaths. And so that's like my favorite one is that even though it's something that where most of us, I won't say all, but most of us are naturally born knowing how to breathe. It's something that we don't actually see the value in it, where we're unlocking emotions that may be trapped. I don't know if you have ever experienced where you've been anxious. I struggle with anxiety. And so I can sometimes not breathe and trap it and I get chest pains or I can get headaches. And so the art of breathing is allowing it to flow to say that, you know what? Don't let it get stuck. Feel the anxiety, feel the fear, feel the emotions, and then work on releasing it. It's like a wave. You're going to feel the emotions, but it will subside. And so sitting down with the mindfulness exercise, you're really grounding yourself in your breath and really allowing um, and shutting out the negative thoughts and any negative, any negativity that you want, where journaling you're asking yourself to be open to it. Journaling, you're like, I want to explore and I want to understand. Where with mindfulness, it's not really seeking understanding of what's going on, but actually seeking understanding of what's going on within, where it's lack of words and lack of thoughts and just focusing on finding that calmness, finding that peace of balance that journaling may provide in a different way, but not necessarily. I love the idea that you don't necessarily have to be seeking understanding when you can get benefits from a certain thing. You don't have to understand things. <laughs> That's a tall order. But just as people say, sitting with them, which again, isn't as easy as it sounds. And so I'm not sure when you practice mindfulness, for example, what do you do? Yeah. So I actually practice mindfulness in so many different ways. And sometimes I take time and I just sit down and I may be in the car and I just hug myself for three seconds, like really tightly, just to focus on grounding myself, feeling the hug, feeling the embrace, feeling the sense of comfort and safety that I want. And sometimes I sit down I have a little dedicated spot right now, but if you don't have it, no worries. I do it also laying down Mm -hmm. in the bed where I really focus on my breathing. Take a deep breath in, hold it for four seconds, exhale for four seconds, because I'm really taking that time to really value the breath, allowing it to fill up my lungs and really notice the air flowing through me and bringing myself to that sense of calm. It really helps me when my mind is going all over the place. (laughs) It can be really hard. I really also like progressive relaxation exercises where I like can kind of clench my toes really tight and curl them up. And I also do that with hands and I clench my fists. And then I just release it as I'm breathing. 
And that can help me release the tension because I can't always scream wherever I'm at. I mean, I (laughs) can't always just maybe blow up. Like I'm not really a yeller by nature. I just condense it on the inside, but then I'm left feeling like unstable volcano. So clenching my fist and allowing that tension and that pressure that I feel to just release is some great exercises for mindfulness that I like to do. Unstable volcano is (laughs) one of my new favorite metaphors. It's sleeping, but it's not really. (laughs) But it's not really like, you won't know, you know, you kind of just see this outward pressure, but it's bubbling on the inside. It's definitely bubbling. I like some of those, how they bring the physicality into it. I had forgotten about this, but we did do an interview with Lori Mintz where we talked a bit about mindfulness. And I mentioned that With the breath work, people say when you're trying to go to sleep, focus on your breath. So somebody once gave me the advice to bring in the physicality of it. So to then feel your breath on your, if you're sleeping, wherever it is on your face might be laying on your arm or your hand or your pillow, but to feel your breath then on your hand and the way it feels on the surface and on your skin and think about that part of it to really bring in an extra anchor and take it a bit again out of your mind and a bit into the mind body. Absolutely. Anchoring yourself. And even if I'm outside and my mind is going all over the place, I use the five senses. So I just look around and I just name five things that I see, name five things that I smell, five things that I hear, five things that I feel. So that's one that I do even with children, adolescents and adults that I work with because it's something very practical. And you may calm down after you've done three, but it's just being in touch with the senses and finding which one actually works best for you and getting to know yourself. And so if the sense of smell is the way that you found yourself to be calming, then aromatherapy might be something that you need to tie in with your deep breathing. I actually really do like aromatherapy, but it's finding out which senses kind of pair to anchor you the best when you're trying to do these coping skills, whether it's journaling or mindfulness or taking a bath for self-care or taking the time to listen to music, which incorporate sound and it could also incorporate the movement of the body. So I think that finding your anchors is so important. Mm -hmm. And so then from there, using this mindfulness and perhaps heightened awareness through journaling to recognize the relationship between thoughts, feelings, and behaviors on our end, on other people's ends, and, and the things we can control versus the things we cannot brings us to the boundaries part, which I went in reverse order and saved what I think is definitely the most complicated and difficult for last. And you, I saw this on, on your Instagram that it says, if it costs you your peace, it's too expensive. And I often talk about the value of peace of mind, whether it's doing something, taking the time, but that will save you peace of mind later on is just so invaluable. And so I guess in terms of understanding what boundaries are, how they're difficult, and why they're so important. So 
boundaries within ourselves and particularly with other people. And that might be a romantic relationship. But again, I do think this is huge in familial relationships, for example. Yes. Oh my goodness. Boundaries. People are actually finding out how difficult boundaries are and how leaving the home and having eight hours or six hours away from each other has been the best boundary they ever had for their relationship. And now that's gone. It's Things are like hitting the fan. But the peace of mind is so important because when you don't have peace of mind, it's really hard to function. It's hard to give to others and to yourself and actually just function as a whole because it impacts you mentally, emotionally, physically, spiritually. So there's so many aspects of the self. And so when you're thinking about how thoughts, feelings, and behaviors, you really need to understand how things are impacting you. What are your triggers? And that's where boundaries come into place. But you first have to identify what's going on with you and what are your needs and what are your wants and what you're not getting. It's setting those boundaries to know what happens if you don't set them. So I tried it. I was like, hmm, I'll just, I'll do a little experiment with myself. I'll just be very lackadaisical about things. And I found that I was actually a little bit more down. I also struggled with more lack of motivation with things because I wasn't setting those boundaries of not doing work in the bed, of not getting dressed and putting on like clothes, actual clothes that I found that I, it was hard to really mentally and emotionally get into good spaces. And so I had to cut that off. That experiment failed. I tried it, it failed. (laughs) And so I had to like tell myself like, your body's going to feel tired And your mind's not going to really want to work or function if you stay in the bed past this time. Get up, go downstairs. You're not able to do things. So I require myself to take a walk around my neighborhood, even if it's a five minute walk, get outside, get some fresh air and break up the day. I had to put boundaries with myself to force myself to change the scenery and and get creative. So that's where I had to recognize how the thought of staying in the bed was impacting my feelings and then my behaviors. Now, when we talk about boundaries with others, and you're right, it does not have to be romantic relationships because I think the hardest actually boundaries that I had to set was with family members. I have actually a really great relationship with my mom today. I talk to my mom every day now and that took work. It took a lot of work. It took a lot of boundaries being set and reinforced. And so boundaries can be so exhausting, which is why people give up on them (laughs) because people push against them. People want what they want. And if it's not the same thing that you want, they naturally push against them. And if you're trying to set a new boundary that you never set before, well, look out now. They're like, well, you changed and this is not how it was before. And so you find yourself trying to actually create a whole different relationship with a person who you may have had a relationship for a long time, all because you may say, you know what, from this and this time, I'm not available. Well, because they're so used to calling you whenever they wanted, they're like, wait a minute, they might still call you during that time. Or if you're setting a boundary about not lending money to somebody, or if you're setting a boundary about someone not using particular phrases or calling you by certain words where it was okay before, but now you know what? 
you're not comfortable with it. And you know what? That's okay because that's a boundary that you want to set because that is what you need at that moment. And that's what you desire. And if people don't respect your boundaries, then that says a lot more about them than about you and whether or not your boundaries are justified. Absolutely. Because we set boundaries based off of what we value. And if at that time you value quietness, then others should respect that. So it it takes a lot of work. And so when you're talking about respect, it's about, yes, someone needing and desiring and wanting to respect you. They don't have to agree. Let me make sure I say that. They don't have to agree or understand why you're setting this boundary. It's just that you're setting it and that they should be okay with it. If they understand and they agree, that's like a win-win. Love that. But it doesn't always necessarily happen. I remembered actually, I think in another Food for Thought episode where I talked about the fine line between curiosity and criticism. And it was a story about somebody asking me about what I do for work. And I can only assume they were curious, as people often are, and wanted to ask more and more questions, but to the point where it's, I didn't know this person. I was at a a get-together with friends. I wanted to be talking to my friends and to be there trying to explain the business model. But yeah, this idea of people respecting your boundaries, because in that experience where somebody was asking me about my company and all of that, I had explicitly said, I I don't want to talk about work. I said I didn't from the beginning, but they didn't respect that. And I actually left the conversation feeling terrible about myself, wondering, oh, well, why wasn't I able to defend myself or explain X, Y, Z features of our platform well enough? And it was like, well, because I didn't even want to be talking about it. And I had told this person that. So they don't need to understand or agree with it, but it's important to notice who is or is not respecting your boundaries and perhaps reconsider what relationships you want to build with people in the latter category. Absolutely. And I think that sometimes we focus a lot on what's in our face with the romantic relationships because, of course, we're with that person a lot of the times, but setting that boundary with work relationships, with setting that boundary with even friendships that you've had for many years, that communication and understanding and time, those are all valuable. And oftentimes they're often changing because us as people, we are changing. We're not static. We're always growing and changing. And we want to have people around us who are respectful and who care about us enough that if we make a change, that they're in support of it. Because ultimately, if we're making a change, hopefully it's for the betterment of ourselves. If it's not, then we can have a discussion. But if I genuinely believe it's the betterment of myself, definitely want that boundary to be set and to be respected. And I understand about not telling people I went to a meetup one time and they asked me, what do I do? And I said, I'm a therapist. And you know, it's just like, well, so do you, is it like children? Is it adolescents? Is it adults? What kind of issues do you, and I'm just like, I would really love to answer your questions. And, but I truly believe there's a time and a place for everything. And right now is not the time for me to talk about what I do. I want to just focus on here in the moment. Now we could talk about it another time, but let's just live in the moment and have a good time. And usually they are like, okay, 
<laughs> yeah, I started, you know, explaining to people, you know, I work enough as is and this time and place I generally refer to is I'm trying to actually <laughs> do the opposite focus on anything besides work at this moment or in this place. I'm generally making an explicit effort to to get away from that headspace. So I'd really love to talk about anything but work, or you can tell me about your job, or you can ask me about anything else. And if somebody can't move past, that's their problem, not yours, even if it might feel like yours for some reason, somehow, but it's not. Oh, I love that you said that. That's something that comes through like learning and experience and having um, either whether it's time with yourself or having verbal vomits with your friends, but learning about what is yours and what is not yours. It's People talk a lot about what you can control and what you can't control, but people don't often talk about real guilt versus false guilt and what is your problem versus what is someone else's problem. So I'm so happy that you said that because those are equally important as what you can control and what you can't control. Yeah, it's not just passing it off and saying, well, I did my part. That's It's a continual back and forth of how you react to things. And so we can control our, I won't say thoughts or feelings necessarily, but our behaviors, our reactions, our interactions, the boundaries we set with other people. Whereas we can't control what other people are going to do, how they're going to react. And what an underlying thing is that what we are thinking and feeling can't control the circumstances nor the reaction of the other person. So if you are stressing about if this person is going to respond to you or if a date went well or, for example, With COVID and with the fires that are currently happening in California, not that it's not important to be educated and be aware, be prepared, and to take action when and where you can, but the accumulated stress that you might be exerting does not have an actual impact on it. If you can leverage it in a positive way to do something productive to contribute in some way to a solution, but your stress, particularly for smaller, more minute things, doesn't change the circumstances or what is going to happen. And so I think those are some of the moments when it's hardest to control ourselves, but most important because otherwise there is this cycle of accumulated stress that isn't going anywhere. And if anything is probably taking us backwards. Yeah. Because coupled with those things are expectations and desires. So if you share something with someone, you have this expectation that they're going to understand that they're going to be receptive. And so if they're not, it's like sometimes shattering and draining and you can be frustrated and you have these desires of in a perfect world. Sometimes I start with people where I'm like in a perfect world, what would happen? And they're like, but it's not a perfect world. I know it's not, but in a perfect world, what would it be? And then we'll work our way and see what is practical, what is not practical, what is realistic, because sometimes what you want in a perfect world is not even something what you actually want when you think about it and break it down. (laughs) So it's when you're thinking about just this cycle of what you can and can't control and, and just remembering that 
even things that we can control, we still have to be kind to ourselves and still understand our expectations that we have for ourselves and how that impacts how we feel and then also how we respond to others. Absolutely. And this is one of my favorite things that I, one of my favorite kind of outlooks on life that I have come to is this idea of expectations versus intentions. And so I really try to live my life without expectations. But that's not to say that I don't have hopes or intentions for things. I've just had many experiences in my life where, you know, I thought a certain person would always be there and I lost that person. And I thought, you know, for more silly things, you know, went on this crazy study abroad program that was just <laughs> like very intense and not at all what you would expect and pretty much miserable, but a great learning experience. Just so many things where it does feel as though having expectations in many circumstances, particularly, again, more frequent small things, is setting yourself up for disappointment. But again, not to say that we shouldn't have hopes or intentions. And so there's a difference between when I share something rather than having the expectation that they'll understand, they'll respond, they'll have a good response, it will create this bond between us. Instead, I have an intention that I will be honest, I will be open, I'll be vulnerable, I'll tell a personal story about myself, I'll share something with them. But that's my intention. And yes, I can have a hope that they might respond in a certain way, but I wouldn't say that we should have expectations because, again, those are all in the category of things we cannot control. So logically, it just it doesn't make sense. And I've found this a very, not just liberating, but extremely important part of the the way that I live my life and even just on a small daily basis. Yeah, it can be very hard when you're trying to think about expectations. My expectations used to be very high and I found that, yes, I was meeting them, but it was costing me my happiness. It was costing me being grateful in the wins and celebrating myself because the expectations were so high that I was like just moving, rushing through, just trying to get to those expectations. And then I, when I finally stopped and sat down, I realized that a lot of those expectations that I had on myself came from other people. They weren't even necessarily my expectations. And so I really made, <laughs> I really made an effort to recognize and acknowledge what my expectations are and being kind to myself if I don't meet them. And I have um, more moments that I have been just like more carefree and it's so freeing, but it's so unnatural sometimes. So it stresses me out a little bit. So <laughs> I'm like trying to find that balance now within my personal life of, of expectations, planning and free moments and how that can all just intertwine into a healthy balance. So as we talked about, and I think where expectations really come up, I do think on a grand scale of life, 
again, it's important, but particularly where I think these pain points come up for a lot of people is in dating, in the beginning stages of dating. And the example I gave earlier is if somebody is going to respond or not. And so in these examples of when people are choosing to either use defense mechanisms or lean in and be vulnerable in certain situations, I came across this quote you had earlier that says, unpopular opinion. I genuinely look forward to moments of weakness and vulnerability. It is a sign of safety and emotional security. And so just wanted to have you speak a bit to vulnerability, I mean, in all walks of life, but then particularly in building new relationships or connections with people, what role it plays and what it's a reflection of our capacity to be vulnerable as a strength, or here you use the word weakness, but people are rebranding vulnerability requires strength. And so being able to be in that state of mind or give somebody, show somebody that part of you isn't easy. And then how that can be a powerful tool, again, not only for your relationship with yourself, whether it's in your journaling, mindfulness, boundary setting, but with other people, how powerful it can be. And, and the role of emotional security and how it's a reflection probably of confidence and security. When I was thinking about that thought in my head, it was because I just had got tired of people saying, oh my gosh, you're so strong. Oh my gosh, you're so strong. And I just paused and I was like, I'm only strong because I have to be. It's not because I want to be. I don't want to always be um, seen as this strong person because strong can come with being disconnected from being human at times. And so people don't see you as somebody with feelings and thoughts and that you can get hurt when see you as this strong person. Um, That's happened to me in my personal life where people kept attributing to it. And when they would hurt me, it was almost as though they did not see the pain that they were causing me because they had this image of me as just being this strong person. And so the reason why I couldn't be vulnerable was because there wasn't safety. There wasn't support. There wasn't a space for it for me. So I wasn't. (laughs) If there's not a space for it, I just wasn't. And so I looked for moments of creating that space of safety, of vulnerability, of being open, of being able to share your thoughts without feeling judged, without feeling without feeling like every word has to be perfect and your actions have to be perfect. And so when I think of vulnerability, I, I think of it as you just being your authentic self, whether that's you laughing, whether you're crying, whether you're trying something new, whether you're being unapologetic about things. So I see vulnerability as a beautiful thing, as something that all of us should experience. And so that's why I said that I I seek those moments because they are a sign that 
you're doing something right, <laughs> that you're around good people and that you're building emotional intelligence where you've learned your triggers, where you set the boundaries, where you're learning what your inner thoughts are telling you and you're shaping just this overall person in life that you want. And then that doesn't come without sadness or that doesn't come without moments of happiness. It's about life. And so there's ups and downs. And when you have that moment to just take that veil off and take that mask off and just be your true self and get outside of your head. It's, oh Lord, I'm I'm happy about it. (laughs) Let me experience more of it. And so I think it's powerful because it's oftentimes when we don't and when we're not able to be vulnerable is when we break down, is when we enter into moments where we're anxious, where we're depressed, where we're contemplating suicide, where we're thinking about self-harm, where we're isolating ourselves from others because we're screaming and we're desiring this place to just be ourselves, where we don't have to be perfect, where we don't have to be strong. And so I think it's a powerful way to just experience yourself and connect with others because they truly see you. If you can be vulnerable, they're not seeing past you. They're not seeing what they want. They're seeing you for you in whatever state that may be. I love alliteration. And so I just, I wrote down, and you talked about the importance to seek a space for safety and support. And I think this is something that we all need. And a lot of us perhaps don't have, but we can all make the effort to seek out. And I think A lot of us don't have this, but particularly men, this is exactly what one of the biggest issues is that men often don't have that space for safety and support to be vulnerable, to express how they actually feel, to even try and explore and understand how they might feel and to take off that mask you referred to, which, you know, alludes to, to one of my favorite films about masculinity, The Mask You Live In. And so, yeah, trying to find that space, but it also knowing we have it, let alone taking advantage of it, exploring that space and leaning into it, then gives us so much power and that confidence and the security to walk through the world, to go out on a limb, to be more vulnerable, to form deeper connections with other people and meet new people because we have that sense of security. We have that home base. We have that safety and that support that we all need. It's a hard thing. I know there are people out there starting campaigns and really advocating for men to have that emotional space to be vulnerable. And different ethnicities are also advocating for be given that time and that space to be seen as human and not dehumanizing people and asking people to sacrifice what they're feeling and who they are for the sake of getting along. And I'm happy that the days of just living, just being happy to be alive is kind of just moving away where people are seeking healthy and wellness and happiness because just living is not always just enough. Exactly. And I mean, if we aren't able to feel as though we have that space for safety and support, let alone if we don't feel as though we have that in our own neighborhood or walking down the street, if we're faced with discrimination or if we're put at risk 
in a way that is not reflective of the general population. And if we have to endure more obstacles or discrimination, then how are we supposed to feel as though we have a space for safety and support, if not in our own neighborhood or in our own home? And and that ties into creating that safe place for yourself, whether it's mindfulness, meditation, yoga, self-care, journaling, that it's important to have that within yourself and then you can branch out and, and seek it in other areas. But creating it within yourself, allowing yourself to be vulnerable in whatever means that is. To bring everything together and this relationship with ourselves and how that then influences and transcends into our relationships with others and the importance of self-understanding and self-care. Throughout this, we've mentioned a bit the relationship between thoughts, feelings, and behaviors and the power of integrating them and creating a, a system through which they flow into one another and our understanding kind of flows into each of them so that we can have a more holistic picture, not only of ourselves, um, but of the world around us. And so I mentioned this because I, with BBXX, a lot of what we're also trying to do is ask these questions, help people ask questions, ask the questions that aren't being talked about make people think in a different way, flip everything you thought you knew upside down and look at it backwards. And maybe you'll realize, oh no, I was right before. Maybe you'll look at it and say, oh my God, I had everything backwards. Now it looks right side up. But to really explore our thoughts on these different topics so that we can then figure out how we feel about them and shape not only our own behaviors and take what we've learned and enact it and therefore change our own behaviors. But we truly believe at BBXX that changing our thoughts changes the conversations we're going to be having with other people. And by changing the conversations we're having, we're also going to be able to change the overall culture that we are a part of and that we live in and have not only that influences us, but that we can influence in return. And so this whole relationship I've always found so interesting in terms of changing the conversation and changing the culture surrounding intimacy and relationships, but also on an individualistic level. So as we wrap up, I'd love to have you bring us back and explain how through these steps that we've talked about, we can begin to not only better understand, but empower ourselves with our own thoughts, feelings, and behaviors and the relationship between them. Yeah, I am such a big fan of CBT therapy because I think it's something that, and that's cognitive behavioral therapy. And it really connects that the thoughts, the feelings, and behaviors are a triangle that are working together. So if you're just busting out crying or if you're happy about something, it didn't come from nowhere. <laughs> it came from a thought. And understanding that thought can be so tremendous if you're trying to shift yourself to a different space, 
if you're trying to understand what you're feeling so that then you can either change the behavior or even just seek understanding. So I'll use an example where for myself, I am terrified of flying. I am terrified of it. And so my thought is, and this is real life, I I think that I'm going to die. And so the feeling is fear and the behavior is hysterical crying. Again, I'm being very honest. And how I try to work around that is understanding and I challenge that thought. So I have to, while I'm on the plane, I have to use facts where I'm less likely to die in an airplane. And I ta- I go through, I know all the exits. And so I'm walking my way through to really change that initial thought so that then I'm not so bound by the fear. And then if I'm not bound by the fear, I'm no longer hysterically crying because that connection. So the thoughts are powerful. We can't always control them, but we can acknowledge them and we can challenge them. And that's what CBT therapy allows you to do. When you're trying to get to know yourself and understand who you are, your thoughts make up so much of who you are as a person. The thoughts that you develop from the past also influence the thoughts that you have in the present. So if you thought that smoking was not good, then you may have kept that thought or something along the way came and challenged that thought and you started to rethink it and maybe your attitude toward it changed. But it's to say that our thoughts are fluid and they come from somewhere. And so once you can understand your thoughts, you then are better able to understand what you're feeling at that moment. You can have more clarity. And if you can understand what you're feeling, you're less frustrated. And then you can also better understand your behavior and understand why you may be not wanting to get out to bed. Or if it's a positive thing, you understand why you're wanting to work out, why you're wanting to eat better, why you want to call this guy back or why you want to spend time with this friend because you understand the thought and you understand the feelings behind it and therefore you understand the behaviors. So if you're struggling with trying to understand who you are and you want to get to know yourself better, that's where journaling can come into place because you're sitting down and you're actually writing out your thoughts. If you're sitting with yourself with mindfulness, you're sitting with yourself, you're understanding what's coming in, what's stopping you from having that sense of calmness. Because those thoughts that are coming in, they have meaning. They're coming in for a reason. So understanding what are barriers from you when you're trying to relax can also help you understand the feelings and the behaviors. And when you're setting boundaries, understanding why you need to set that boundary. Well, this person is not adding value to my life where I feel negative and down every time I do this or every time I'm around this person. You can feel negative about yourself. You can feel low. You can feel unappreciated. You can feel undesired. And then that behavior where maybe you want to isolate yourself or you want to just binge watch some Netflix, whatever the case may be, how you deal with your low moments, it all starts with understanding. And your thoughts are a great way for you to seek understanding of yourself. I think that was a really great example. And I think what's really interesting too, is that for some of us, we might work our way through these three things, thoughts, feelings, and behaviors from one side to the other, starting with our thoughts. And we can easily recognize our thoughts 
I'm thinking about this over and over. That's why I feel anxious and that's why I am doing X, Y, Z versus a lot of times I think there are some of us who can only recognize this is what behavior I am displaying right now, whether it's anger or I guess whatever behavior doing, crying or expressing anger in some way and need to work our way backwards and then understanding, okay, what emotions can label this and then dig into and what are the ingredients to that emotion? What is happening inside of me? What conscious or subconscious thought processes, worries, insecurities are happening that are contributing to that? And so understanding that this is, you know, a two-way, three-way street, but that there is no doubt that these things are integrated. And if we can harness that integration, really do the work, and it's hard work, recognizing even just the thought you're having or a feeling, or even trying to, when we're displaying these behaviors, we probably want it to go away. We want to distract ourselves. We want to do something else. I know it's not easy to then sit down and try and understand where it's coming from. But if we can do that work and understand not only this process and this relationship, but how it works inside of ourselves, then that can open such a deeper window into that self-understanding. And once we have that self-understanding, we can better know how to take care of ourselves and ask others for help when we need it. But by doing that work, again, it's the deeper connection to ourselves, which allows us to form deeper connections with other people. That's so beautiful how you wrap that up. It's knowing who you are helps you also interact with others and connect with others that that are like-minded. But when you struggle to know who you are, you can find yourself feeling lost and, and struggling in so many areas of your life. And so refocusing on who you are, what you desire, your expectations or lack thereof expectations and your dreams and your passions and just knowing who you are and the beauty in that and the pain in that and the sadness in that and the joy in that and then taking that out into the world. I think we sometimes just forget that, okay, just because you knew yourself five years ago, you may like things differently. And that's why in relationships, whether that's career or romantic or or friendships, that people can get used to you one way and don't recognize that you're constantly changing and constantly growing as a person. And so that's where that shift can happen and can develop. So it's important to just to take time for yourself, whether that's five minutes or more. And particularly the people who might not understand that you've changed might be the people who have known you the longest, which is always so interesting. But we talked in the middle about the importance of small wins and how if you don't celebrate them, no one else will. And so this work is the same. And celebrating small wins is way more fun with other people. And yes, you can 
dive so much deeper into your self-understanding through other people, the people you surround yourself with in relationships, you can use other people as a new lens through which to see yourself to better understand yourself. That can be extremely powerful. But at the end of the day, again, this work, like the small wins, is up to you to initiate it. And if you don't celebrate or embark on this journey, no one else is going to or be able to do it for you. If there was a magic button where somebody could do all the work, I'm like, oh, yay. But then you wouldn't really be able to experience the true joy of it. I know we all would like to avoid all the pain, but the pain lets us know and appreciate and recognize the joy because we know what the pain is. Thank you so much for joining us today. I mean, I could talk forever now that it's, oh, man, the relationship between peaks and valleys and knowing pain to understand joy. So we'll just have to continue this conversation another time. Thank you so much for joining us today and for sharing a little bit about yourself so that we can all better understand our own selves. Yes. Well, thank you so much for having me. I truly appreciate it. Thank you so much to each and every one of you for tuning in to listen to our show. If you like what you learned and you know someone who might also like listening, please do share this podcast. You can also feel free to reach out to us anytime. If you'd like to submit questions, requests for experts to have on the show, or if you'd like to share your positive feedback or constructive criticism, we'd love to hear what you think. It's the only way we can learn and grow along with you. Be sure to check out our website, follow us on Instagram at bbxx.world, and subscribe to the book club newsletter, where we send out even more resources to help you dive even deeper to the topics that we bring to you on the show. Once again, we encourage you to take what we discuss on this show and apply it in your everyday life. Because remember, better relationships equals better life.